Okay, Tov, help yourself to some coffee. I want to thank our sponsors this morning. Dana Golani, who's sponsoring in memory of her beloved husband, Baruch Ben Eliezer. Is Dana here? Thank you very much. We remember, we remember Brad with a lot of uh, love and fondness and affection. He's really a great guy. And uh, we miss him. I can only imagine how much you miss him. His neshama should have an aliyah. Amen. And also sponsored by Esti Lupin for a Shlema. For... Mm. Michal Yona Ben Lea, who should have a complete and speedy and painless Rufu Shlema. Amen. Only the best of health and the best of everything. Okay, we are back in Mesilas Hasharim, not because we're learning Mesilas Hasharim, not because we're not not learning Mesilas Hasharim, but but we're not learning Mesilas Hasharim as trying to learn Mesilas Hasharim. We're, we're learning Mesilas Hasharim um, parts of it that deal with Emuna, because obviously that's why we're here. We are an unabashed support group for working on our Amuna, which sometimes, sometimes gets hard, sometimes feels easy. Um, so this, we're going backwards. Last week we learned, I think, the 22nd chapter of Mesil Sasharim. We're, we're not going to skip around Mesil Sasharim. This is, I think, the last time. But this is the eighth parak, and I think it's also very meaningful. I found it very meaningful, and that's why I want to share it with you and relate it to our Parsha, which is in many ways the Parsha of Amuna, Parsha's Bahar, which you may be wondering how that is. Okay. So the 8th chapter of Mesil HaShashon, the Ramchal of Moshe Chaim Lutzato, who lived in Padua, Italy. And uh, he's discussing Kinias Hazrizus, right? The Mesil HaShashon, which is working off of the Brisa of Rav Pinchas Ben Yair, a great Talmudic sage, taught us the original 12-step program. The original 12-step program was not about recovery from a particular substance or lifestyle. It was a 12-step program for how to achieve perfection. What are the qualities, what are the character traits, what are the things that we need to gain and learn in order to arrive at a place of shleimus, a place of perfection? And Rav Pinchas Ben Yair in the Gemara gives us that formula, and the Ramchal takes the formula and devotes a chapter, several chapters to each of the qualities. And he does it brilliantly, because he talks about defining each quality, talks about what we need to do to pursue each quality, and then he talks about what's going to prevent us from arriving at that quality. In fact, a few minutes ago, at the Mesil Sisharim class, the 10 minutes of meaning. Um, we're still doing the opening chapter, the introduction. The Ramchal says specifically there that in life, not only is it important to know what your goal is, but you have to anticipate and predict what will be the pitfalls, the obstacles, what's going to prevent you from achieving that goal, and you have to navigate and eliminate them from you. Because so you could set a goal, and you can know the destination, and then three steps into the journey, you fall in a hole, or wind blows you off course. And then how does it help that you have the goal of the destination if you can't successfully traverse the journey? So it's not only about setting the goal, and this can be true in weight loss or exercise, it can be true in davening or learning, it can be true in amuna, it can be true in relationships, it can be true in marriage or parenting. Then not only is it about setting the goal, but it's about charting the course, looking and anticipating and removing the minios, the impediments, that are going to knock us off. So one of the uh, ideas in this formula, one of the 12 steps, is what he calls zrizus. Zrizus is alacrity. It's zeal. It's enthusiasm. Zrizus is waking up with energy, ready to go. That you're not lazy and procrastinating and apathetic and you're not subject to time, which the Torah tells us. Just like bread, just like flour and water can become bread, or matzah, so to our attitudes. If we procrastinate, if we're lazy, if we push off, then, then we can turn our mitzvos into chametz. We turn our lives into chametz. Why do now what I could do later? That attitude should be, why do later what I could do now? 
Mitzvah When a mitzvah presents itself to you, you had this thought, I should really check in on this person. Ah, I'll get to it. You'll never get to it. That minute, text. That minute, make a phone call. That minute, do whatever it is you set your mind to. Mitzvah Don't push off to later what you could do right now. That's the quality of Zerizus. Zerizus is not about how fast you're going. It's not about gaining speed, but it's about the attitude you bring to what you do. It's about not being lazy procrastinating, but waking up with a sense of enthusiasm and get going. Okay, so again, we're not studying Mesul HaShashem Kaseder. We're not going according to the order, but, but this chapter jumps out in terms of Emunah. So what are the means for acquiring? How do you transform your life so that when the alarm goes off, you jump out of bed? Well, first of all, if you have to have had enough sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, it's going to be very hard to jump out of bed. But how do you, not just jumping out of bed, there's reasons. You jump to do it. You know, you meet those people, they're high energy. You're like, you know, it's either contagious and you're energized or you're just exhausted being around them. But one, one or the other, there's this high energy. There's a high energy. Um, I, w- I was with Charlie Harari on two occasions recently last week. Charlie, Charlie's a fantastic guy. I hope we're going to bring him back next year. But, but just Charlie's arm movements when he's talking to you is like more than running a marathon. You know, the, the high energy that it exudes, that, that zrizus. The Ramchal says it's the same formula for which we acquire Zahirus. Zahirus is what he earlier identified as one of the characteristics. Zahirus is a life of caution. Now, caution doesn't mean you're so conservative, you're so cautious, you never take risks, you never are fun, you're never spontaneous. He doesn't mean caution in that sense. Um, we'll leave it for another time when we study Mr. Lishram, what, what caution means. And the similar steps. They're two sides of the same coin. On the one is being cautious. In other words, you don't want to wake up with such enthusiasm, zeal, energy, that you're alacrity, you're running to greet the day, that in the meantime, you're running over people. Or in the meantime, you're running right off, the, off a cliff. You can't be functioning at such a high energy that you're imprudent, that you're doing stupid things, foolish things, that you're sabotaging your own success. So, Zahirus is caution, <coughs> plotting it out, understanding impediments, understanding risks, risk assessment. And then Zahirus is once you've done that, go for it. Put everything you have into it. They're two sides of the same coin. And when a person discovers the truth of the greatness of mitzvos and our duty to perform them, the mitzvos are not a burden. They're not there to restrict our pleasure in life. They are the formula for finding meaning in life, for finding satisfaction in life. If you make a bracha before you eat and after you eat and you eat only kosher food, your entire experience of eating... It's going to be transformed to a holy experience. You're going to feel so good about it, better about it. So then you'll be inspired towards the avoda serving Hashem, and you will not recoil from it. So what is it that will invigorate this awakening? How do we arouse within ourselves that, that desire, that yearning, that go-get attitude, that high energy? It's very simple, says Ramchal. It is the mindfulness to constantly and keenly be aware of the goodness in our lives, of the good things that are happening in our lives. And the great wonders Hashem does for us from the, mo- from the day that we're born until our last day here on earth. You have two eyes that are working, your ears are working, your feet are working. You were able to drive a car to get here. You're able to sip the coffee. You're able to eliminate what you drank. You're able to... You're way ahead of the game. 
So we find all kinds of narishkeit. And we manufacture problems. I don't get along with this one and create family problems with that one. You know the definition of a dysfunctional family. It's any family with more than one person in it. <laughs> so, so we manufacture, we manufacture family problems. We manufacture problems in the community or with our institutions or with our leaders. We manufacture and, and aggravate and give ourselves agita over. And now some, some problems we manufacture, those can all be eliminated. Just go with the flow. Just, just, just let it go, right? Those can easily be let go. And then there's real problems we haven't manufactured. Money problems, financial problems. But you know what? They're just money. And I don't mean to minimize them. For the people going through them, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from or how you're paying the rent, it's more than just money, but it's money. It's money is fungible, money is replaceable, money you can access, you never know where money could come from, and it's money. But health and wellness and, and our faculties, they're just, if we woke up with them, who said you were entitled to it? Who said you were entitled to wake up with it? You weren't it. You're so worthy of it. You did something for it. Who said? Who said? You know, by, before 8 o'clock this morning, I, be, I became aware of just two horrifically sad things. Just people suffering, illness, disease. Just, just terrible. A person who can't swallow is having a feeding tube put in today. Another person who's diagnosed with a horrific illness. You just, you're able to swallow. You're able to enjoy your food. You tasted it. It went down. This person has no hope of ever swallowing it. That's it. Permanent. Done. Eating that way is done. For now on, it'll be a, a JPEG. So just you could swallow food. Whoa, that's it. You're ahead of the game. <laughs> You're ahead of the game. Imagine if we woke up with that attitude. I woke up. It's working. My esophagus. I can swallow. That's it. What a day. Wow. What a day. So it's hard. It's hard. Because we, we, anything that we become used to and anything that we feel entitled towards, it's hard to show appreciation for it's supposed to be that way. I'm supposed to be able to swallow. I'm supposed to be able to walk. I'm supposed to be able to see. Until you can't. Until you can't. Mm-hmm. When I ruptured my Achilles and I was on that Fakakta scooter for several months and six months of rehab and, and what it took to shower and what it took to, to get from here across the room and I couldn't get across the room while carrying a cup of coffee or water and, and, and just... So I, I sometimes think about that because you know, th- that path is the one that I fell off my scooter once a day for several months. <laughs> now, so sometimes when I'm walking now, that just strikes me like, yeah, you know, how lucky I am. Both my feet are working. Wow. Wow. So unfortunately, it takes being without in order to appreciate having that capacity. Mm-hmm. He had strep throat. It was like swallowing razor blades. You couldn't taste anything. You thought, I'll never be able to eat again. And this is miserable. And when he got better, you're, wow. Wow. So we lose it because we feel entitled to it and we take it for granted. But if we have the mindfulness, if we keep a gratitude journal, and there's a million apps you could download right now that are a gratitude journal. They force you three things a day to show gratitude. And you can't just do the same, you know, gratitude. I'm grateful I'm alive and I have a roof over my head. and I have Those are important. But you really identify. I'm grateful today this worked out. I'm grateful I got to go there. I'm grateful this happened. Because the more that you contemplate and see these things, because the more you're aware and you live mindfully of the blessings in our life, oh, my car started. I remember when I wasn't sure if my car was going to start. Oh, I was able to buy that thing. I remember when I wasn't able to. So it'll draw you to Hashem, the provider, the source of all that goodness. Because 
Every now and then I see someone who did a big favor for me or I feel indebted to, and right away I feel like, I wonder if I said thank you enough. Maybe I'm going to send another note. Maybe I'm going to write them a text. Maybe I'm going to buy them a gift. Maybe I'm going to send them a card. Because just being in the presence of the person who did that great favor for you is a reminder, you know what, I, I owe them. And I want to make sure they know how much I appreciate them, and I want to anticipate what can I do for them. Right? That happens. We all have people in our lives who've done favors for us. So that's what the Ramchal is saying. The more we can daily, hourly, but certainly frequently, the more we can see Hashem and go, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot Hashem did a favor for me. I woke up today. I forgot Hashem did a favor for me. I can see, I can walk, I can feel, I can hear. I'm success. I have whatever it is in my life. I have to send them a card called davening and say thank you. I have to show appreciation. I have to dedicate my life to his service because you know what he wants in return? The avoda that he wants is for us to repair his world. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. There is no one in any situation. There is no person on earth. It doesn't matter what your situation is. There is no person on earth who doesn't have something to be grateful for. Something. Something. Does that mean that their overall lot in life is fair? Not necessarily. There are people who are dealt a grossly unfair deck of cards. A grossly unfair hand. Unfair. Seemingly unjust. And when we daven for them, we protest to the Rebona Shalom. We say, from our finite, limited human perspective, this is unfair. This is unjust. We beg you, we appeal to you to change it. But even that person who's been dealt that terribly, grossly unfair hand, everyone says the Ramchal. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're healthy or ill, who doesn't see something in their situation. We have encountered terminally ill people who on their deathbed said, you know, I'm so lucky that I should have made this thing work out, that I got 10 more days and my family flew in. And it's unimaginable. I'm so lucky. Are you crazy? And I always say, and then there's the person who stubbed their toe, and they're like, there's no God. I stubbed my toe. It stung for 20 seconds. And there's no God. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm exaggerating a tiny bit. I can tell you as a rabbi, I have dealt with, and I regularly deal with people who are going through the unimaginable health-wise, treatment-wise, diagnosis-wise, who live with this emuna, which is just unimaginable, who are living in another plane. And then you deal with people who like, I have a migraine, there's no God. There's no God, I have a migraine, it's not right, there's no God, my head hurt for five minutes today, and, and I, why would a God do that? So the situation is not what determines the attitude. And the evidence is the people who've been in every single situation who've been able to be the arbiters of their attitude. So it all depends on what we're looking at. Is there eye on the suffering? Is there eye on the goodness? Is there eye on what we should be grateful for? Is there eye on what we should be complaining about? If you're rich, and if you're healthy, you certainly, you're the least likely to say thank you because you, know, you forget God and you feel most entitled. But the person who has their health and the person who has wealth or comfort should be the first one lining up to say, thank you so much. And the poor person, the poor person, with no matter what their situation is today, somehow there's food in their mouth and the shelter over their head. It's a miracle. Somehow, scrounging, scrimping, working, toiling, borrowing, somehow it gets done. And that's a miracle. And that too is a machayev. That too obligates saying thank you. 
You know, again, I'm not minimizing. I deal with people with financial problems every day and my heart goes out and I can't imagine the pain and we should all be empathetic towards them. I'm not minimizing it. But I can tell you that the poorest person in our community today is living a lifestyle commensurate with the richest person decades ago. The poorest people in our world still have smartphones and often still have cable TV and still have a car which is not 200,000 miles on it and still... Right? I'm not minimizing. I'm not minimizing. It's hard and everything is relative and it's difficult and there's anxiety and there's fear and there's unknown and I'm not minimizing it. But there's something to be grateful to Hashem for still. That in the end of the day, bills are, are somehow paid. It's not like the Great Depression stories of people sitting on the side of a street, malnourished, desperate, dehydrated, dying of hunger. Baruch Hashem, in our Jewish world today, we will never allow someone to die of hunger. It can't and it won't happen. We find a way to help someone pay their rent. We find a way. We have a Tom Cheshabbos with 35 families on it. We find a way. We, it just won't, it won't happen. We won't allow it to happen. So that person has what to be grateful for too. That if they lived not only in antiquity, if they lived in recent times, they might be starving on the side of a road and die of hunger. That cannot and will not happen in a Jewish community today. The sick person, he strengthens himself during his sickness and suffering. He doesn't allow him to send to the grave. Grave That Hashem calls him on that the person is alive and there's hope of treatment. And there's hope of it turning around. And there's hope of a cure being discovered. As long as there's breath in their nostrils, there's hope. And even if there's not hope, and even if it's the end, but if there's a minute of consciousness and there's a minute of connection, then there can be a minute of joy. I remember Jerry Han of Blessed Memory, so generous to our Hanjadeh campus. So he made the conscious decision. This goes back a very long time ago. He must have passed away already 15, 16 years ago. Longer, 17 years ago. So he was on dialysis and he made the decision to stop the dialysis, which is a halakhically permissible decision to arrive at with certain variables. And he knew, if you, if you need dialysis and you choose to stop it, you basically know the timetable of how long you have on earth. It was one of the most extraordinary things I ever saw in my life because with that timetable, he was surrounded by his family, by Lynn, by children, by grandchildren, and every moment was precious. And it faded, and it faded, but it wasn't a vigil of death, of mourning. It was a vigil of celebrating life and of connection and of family and of taking advantage of every moment that would be left. Now, again, that's, it's, it's not always possible. People are in certain different conditions. But that was a choice. It was a choice that he made. This is how I want to leave this world. And I want to leave it with this attitude and with this perspective and with this feeling. And I want to embed those memories. And that was a choice. That was a choice. Says Ramchal, there is no one here on God's earth. There's no one on earth who, no matter what their situation, and again, I'm not minimizing. Mother's Day is this Sunday. It's a torturous day for some, for many. If you're struggling and desperate to have a child, if you're desperate to get married so you even have the hope of having a family within marriage, Mother's Day is the worst day on your calendar. You don't want to go on the internet, social media. You don't want to see what everyone's writing about each other and, and the breakfast they're delivering to one another. It's a miserable day. 
So someone struggling with infertility, somebody struggling with illness, somebody struggling with unemployment, someone struggling with a lack of shalom bias, somebody struggling. There's no shortage. I could spend the next four hours listing the kind of struggles. Not minimum. They're real. They're real. But we compound our struggles when we refuse to see the good in our life despite them. We can find the strength to engage our struggles and to overcome them or to endure through them if we can at the same time find something to be makirtov for. The words makirtov, hakarasatov, is to see the good. It's interesting it's called hakarasatov. You have to see the good, hakaras. You have to look for it, you have to be makirat. If gratitude were so easily, you wouldn't have to look for it, it would just overwhelm you. But the reason, it takes effort to identify, to see, and to say thank you for it. You could say that, you could say that. Everyone has a mother. Everyone has a mother, some don't have mothers who are still here. But there's... Right, so there's something to tap into with it, right? If you're alive, if you exist, you have a mother who gave birth to you, and whether she is still here or she's no longer here, there's something to be grateful for, even on that day, which otherwise could be for some, a source of pain. So Ramchal here is talking about Amunah and Bitachon in the course, in the sense of spending the time to look, to identify, to recognize the good in our life, so that we feel gratitude, but also so that we are charged to go on our mission. Meaning, if you met a doctor who did something great for you, right? The surgeon who healed my Achilles, who sewed up my Achilles. So I see him on very rare occasions, but I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. And I think, did I ever say thank you enough? Did I do something more enough? If he needs something for me, I'll do whatever it is, because wow, look what he did for me. So if we recognize that Hashem is the ultimate surgeon, and lawyer, and banker, and he's provided everything that we have, then we feel like, well, what does he want me to do? Sometimes, people are generally very appreciative, often they're not, but sometimes when they say, Rabbi, you did X, Y, and Z, you know, what's your honorarium for that wedding, for that funeral, for that this, for that that? And I always say, not because I'm a hero, but Baruch Hashem, the shul takes care of me, I have a, a, a life that I can afford to say, make a donation. To the, the best thing you can do for me will give me the greatest joys. Help me with our Tovchei Shabbos. Help me with our scholarship. Help me with our whatever. So the Rebbe Shalom says, you feel indebted to me? Here, here's how you can thank me. Help me repair my world. Go change the world. Go care about somebody who's neglected, who's alone, who's shut in. Go support the downtrodden, the fall. Go fight for justice and righteousness. Go do mitzvahs. You want to change my world. Go teach the world through mitzvahs. Asher kiddushanu, bim mitzvosav. How do you make the greatest kiddush Hashem? We think the big, there are a lot of different kiddush Hashems that we make. Beautiful kiddush Hashems that we can make all the time. You know, one kiddush Hashem, you, turn the, you return the change that you were given too much change in public, so you gave it back. You made sure to say, as a Torah Jew, I want to give this back to you because you made a mistake in giving it to me. You shouldn't just say, here's the change. You should say, I'm a Jew, I'm an observant Jew, and my moral code tells me, so let it be the kiddush Hashem. Let it be the Kiddush Hashem. So we think it has to be some extraordinary. But you know, the, the Ashir Kiddush Shanov Mitzvah Rabbi David Shabtai quoted Rav Moshe. Rav Moshe fights in his Rosh Moshe says, how do you fulfill Kiddushim to you? How do you fulfill the mandate of Kiddush Hashem? So the rabbis told us, Ashir Kiddush Shanov When we do mitzvos with mindfulness, with awareness, when we're tapping into their depth and we're showing the world, this is how we relate to time, this is how we relate to food, this is how we relate to modesty, this is how we relate to relationships, this is how we relate to, and we have something to say about absolutely everything, not just food. The Torah guides us in every way. Yechevi gave a talk last night about intimacy. The Torah has a perspective and a formula. There's nothing that's, that's off base, so there's nothing that's out of bounds. You know, our Torah, unlike other religions that says holiness is by avoiding those activities, for us, 
the Rambam, his Mishnah Torah's Yad HaChazaki, Yad is 14, is made up of 14 books. And the book that's called Kedusha, his book called Holiness, is the laws of eating and the laws of sex, the laws of intimacy. I would have made the book of Holiness the laws of Yom Kippur and the laws of Shabbos, the laws of... What's his book Kedusha? His book Kedusha is Hilchaz Bia, Hilchaz Machalos Asuros, the laws of eating, the laws of intimacy, that's holiness. Yeah, in Judaism, that's holiness. So Torah has something to say about every aspect of our lives. And when we bring the Torah perspective to every aspect of our lives, as I get dressed, I say, is this what Hashem wants me to wear? As I eat, I say, is this what Hashem wants me to eat? How He wants me to eat? Where He wants me to eat? When He wants me to eat? Is this the, the amount He wants me to eat? Right? If, when I speak, does Hashem want me to say this? Does Hashem want me to be listening to this? Does Hashem want me to be watching this? Does Hashem want me to be involved in this business venture? Does Hashem want me to be at that gym? Does Hashem want me to... If, if, if Hashem's voice is informing and inspiring every decision, every choice, every behavior, everything we do, then the mitzvah is the platform for how we're transforming the world. So you're grateful to Hashem. He did a taiva. He did a good for you. He did a favor for you. So don't, don't send the flowers. Don't send the chocolates. Send the mitzvahs. That's what he wants. Send the mitzvahs. Change his world. That's how you say thank you. If you see all the good, all the success, everything you have, there are people who are kind and generous and gracious, and we have it from them, but ultimately they are the means we really have it, we really have it from, from Hashem. Who's not going to want to repay the favor? Who's not going to want to be an Eved Hashem to serve Hashem as a way of saying thank you for all that good that we have. For all that good that we have. I combined the three things he says that I talked about with Zahiris, I combined them to one here. To the people who are smart, you realize that we have an obligation to serve Hashem in this way. If you're on a more lowly level and that doesn't do it for you, then if you come from it out of a sense of fear, that if you want reward, if you want things to be good, if you want Hashem to continue to invest in you, you've got to give Him a payoff. You've got to pay Him back. Not a payoff. You've got to give Him a return on the investment. And for the majority, How does it relate to our parsha? Our parsha Bahar, the first of our two parshios, has in it the mitzvah of Shemitah. The mitzvah of Shemitah. Shabbat 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 in the seventh year, it is a sabbatical year for the land. Shabbos Lashem, it's a sabbatical for Hashem. Sod is more. You can't plant your field. You don't tend to your vineyard. You got to leave it all fallow for an entire year. The farmer looks at his field for an entire year. The farmer looks at his portfolio, hands off. Can't touch. Can't plow, plant, harvest, sell. Nothing. Nothing for an entire year. So the Yalkut, the Medrash and Tehillim, and a Pasuk tells us the following. Amazing. So Pasuk can tell him, Baruch Hashem alachav gibori korach osed varo, l'shmo bekol varo. Blessed, Hashem blesses His angels who are gibori korach. They're described as the mighty warriors who listen to Hashem. Who are the mighty warriors who listen to Hashem that Hashem blesses and calls them His angels? So the Medrash says, Rabbi Yitzchak nafcha amar elu shomrei shviyas. These are the farmers who observe Shemitah. Unless you think that Shemitah is something from antiquity, 
It's from the time of the Beis HaMikdash, it's from the time of the Gemara. Farmers in Israel today observe Shemitah. There's a big movement towards not relying on Heter Mechira, that the farmer sells his farm to an Arab so he can continue to work it. There's a big movement towards, towards observing Shemitah. Farmers who are selling their, their farm. In fact, there's a whole organization that's raising money to help the farmers because, as we'll talk about in one, in one moment, the farmer who observes Shemitah is literally forfeiting salary, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, for an entire year. Says the Medrash, no person could do a mitzvah, you could last for a day. So Yom Kippur, you made it a whole day. Shabbos, for some people it's very hard to take off from work, to not check their phone, to not be in touch with their clients, for a whole day of Shabbos. They could do it for a day. The Shabbos achas, or for a week. L'chodesh echad, or they take a month off. A month off, disconnect. Shema l'chol yimos hashana. But an entire year? To forfeit and forego salary? And rabbis get a sabbatical, a mini sabbatical, half a sabbatical, a full sabbatical. But it's a paid sabbatical. It's not a sabbatical. A sabbatical is, say, Hashem, I'm foregoing salary for a year. I, what's going to pay my bills? I don't know. I trust you. He looks at his field. It's barren. It's empty. It's wasteland. He looks at his vineyard. It's barren. It's empty. It's waste. Says the Medrash, is there a Gibor Chayah? Is there a mighty warrior who has more self-control and discipline than this farmer who for a year... Imagine you own a store and for a year you lock the store with a sign that says, we'll be closed this year. <laughs> You're a doctor with a practice and for a year you saw your patients, you got to go somewhere else for a year, I'm not practicing this year. Not only do you have the fear of what you're giving up for that year, but will they come back? Will you come back? <laughs> so Rav Chaim Shmulevitz and Sichos Musser has an entire essay about this. Because what is Shemitah really all about? So on the one hand, it's about the land. The land needs to rejuvenate and re-energize the land. On one hand, it's about the land. But equally or even more, who are Hashem's malachim? Who are His angels? The gibore korach. It's not about the land, it's about us. Shemitah is an exercise in emuna. For a year, that farmer looks at his land and he has this urge. I want to plow. I want to tend to. I want to, I want to plant. I want to take care of you. I don't want you to sit fallow. I don't want you to be half curved to everybody else. I want you to produce for me, for my family. I'm worried. But nevertheless, the farmer overcomes and says, you know what? There are things more important than money. And for a year, so for six years, what happens? You're, you're tending to your, your vineyard, you're planting in your field, and when you harvest, what are you thinking? You're thinking, you know why I got a great harvest this year? Because I was so smart. When I plowed, how I planted, the, the, the pesticides I used, and how I structured it. And, I, and wow, I got a big harvest. I brought in the money this year. So me. It's me. I invested wisely. My marketing and advertising for my store. I structured my doctor practice. I hired an assistant. I opened a new office. I rented space. For, it's all me. And Hashem says, no problem. Six years, you can believe that. Six years, I'll let you believe that. Seventh year, I want you to take off. And I want you to recalibrate and I want you to remember that even though six years, it's all me. I want you to work on Amuna. I want you to restore that sense of Amuna that you can bring into your next six years. That you can bring into your next six years. To plant in our heart. In fact, the Torah promises to us, what taka does the farmer eat? So the Torah says that if the farmer observes Shemitah, then in the sixth year you grow enough for the sixth year, the seventh year, and the eighth year. 
Now what's amazing is, I would have thought that if Hashem couldn't make good on that promise, how many times did the Jewish people have observed Shemitah? Yeah. Once. The first time they tried this and it didn't work, that's it. But we have evidence of Shemitah being observed over and over again, which means Taka, they felt the promise was fulfilled. Mm-hmm. That Hashem gave enough in the sixth year to last the sixth, seventh, and the eighth year as well. So we don't, it's a beautiful essay he has for another time, but we don't, we don't observe a sabbatical, or at least we don't observe an unpaid sabbatical. But the notion of, of recalibrating and saying, you know what, I'm not going to work 17 hours a day because I want to be rich. I'm going to work a reasonable amount because I want to have time for Torah learning, for my family, for, him, for my health. And Hashem can provide elsewhere. Using our, our livelihood as a way of expressing or tapping into our, tapping into our emunah. Shemitah is an exercise of Amuna. I'll leave you with in last week's parsha, in Emor, Pasuk says, yamim When it's talking about Shabbos. It's a very funny word. Six days te'aseh. It should say te'aseh. Six days do your work. It says te'aseh. What does te'aseh mean? Six days your work shall be done. It's a very funny formulation. So the Mepharshim, the Mepharshim, the Ishbitzer and others say, that te'aseh malacha means six days you think you're doing work, te'aseh. Hashem is doing the work. Yeah. The seventh day of Shabbos to remind you that six days, it wasn't te'aseh, it was te'aseh. You were the means, you were the mechanism, you were the instrument through which it happened and through which you drew in the income, but it was te'aseh. You're the junior partner. You think you're the senior partner? Hashem, this was my idea, my brilliance, my success, my pride. Oh yeah, thank you also. No, no, no. Hashem, this was all you. Thank you for allowing me to be the instrument that it happened. He's the senior partner, we're the junior partner, but it's the most unusual partnership ever because though he's the senior partner and he does 99.9% of what enables its success, he lets us keep 90% of the income. He only asks us for 10%. He's the senior partner and he only asks us for 10%. He says, you wouldn't be making, you'd be making zero without me, but I'll tell you what, you keep 90%. 10% give to my other, don't even give it to me. Give it to my other children. My sir. I have a lot of children. Do me a favor. Just give it to my other children. Don't even give it to me. Just 10%. Just 10%. And we say, 10% is so much. I can't believe I have to give my sir. I work so hard for this money. When you come from the perspective of, he says, you know what? Keep 90%. You would have zero without me. I'm the brains behind this whole operation. Meaning I gave you the brains or I am the brains or I orchestrated things for it to be successful. But I'll tell you what. Even though it couldn't happen without me, you keep 90%. Just give back. Six days go, work, do, conquer. But we're not doing it. It's being done through us. Hashem is allowing us. He's enabling us. So the Ramchal is saying, find time every day to think about what we have to be grateful for. You're rich, you're poor, you're healthy, you're sick. Every person on earth, if they were challenged to identify and to be grateful. Because when we do, not only will we have the attitude of gratitude, which will create a positive energy in our life, but we'll then want to serve him because we'll want to say thank you to him and that will turn everything around. Have a great day.